And we are live. Welcome back to the Rabbit Hole Podcast, where we do mediocre research and give our unwanted opinion about a topic that you probably don't care about. I'm joined again by my lovely co-hosts, Christian and CJ. I'm Tristan. And uh, this week, we're going to do some more culty stuff, because um, we just like cults, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I, I thoroughly kind of a cult of our own, honestly. Kind of. If you want to count Facebook followers as cult members, yes. Uh, but yeah, this week we're going to take a focus in on uh, some cults mm-hmm. who have a tendency to kill themselves. Yes. So, uh, Christian, sure. I'll go ahead and let you begin here. Okay. Yeah. Um. So the first cult that we're going to talk a little about today. Um. If you look over at, if you're watching this on on YouTube, you can see CJ's background. Obviously, we're going to be talking about the People's Temple, okay? The People's Temple is a very complex church construct that was started by Jim Jones. So, to give you a little background about uh, the People's Temple, we kind of have to know a little bit about Jim Jones, okay? So, Jim Jones was born James Warren Jones, okay? He's born... May 13th, 1931. So he was growing up as a young child. Formal years were um, Dust Bowl Depression. You know, he was living in um, Lynn, Indiana, where is where he was born. Um, and he kind of bounced around those areas as a child. Now, a lot of the really interesting stuff about his childhood is just, and you'll, you'll see this a lot with cult leaders and serial killers and things like that, having a very detached childhood. For instance, Jim Jones, his mother, it was said to have no maternal instincts and really didn't want anything to do with him. His dad was like 20 years older than his mom. He was a World War I veteran who was always, um, always drunk, always some kind of out of his mind. He had actually, um, if you think about World War I, there was what they called mustard gas attacks where they'd shoot mustard gas into the enemy trenches. And he actually survived a mustard gas attack. And that's one of the reasons why people thought he was just a grumpy old man. So none of the, he didn't really have any parenting as a child. Um, growing up, he would always wear his nicest, his Sunday best every day to school, kind of a weird guy, um, always wore a button up, um, ties, all of those things. And he, he had a real... A lot of people say he was interested in religion, but I don't think he was interested in religion as much as he was interested in, in, in um, showmanship and leadership. So a lot of people say that he would attend many churches. He would even start a sermon at one church, get up in the middle of the sermon, leave and go to another church to hear that sermon. Um, super weird stuff like that. But he was also really into like um, Stalin, Marx, Mao, uh, even Hitler and Gandhi, um, just because of their, personally, I think it was just because of their leadership, like the way that they could inspire people um, to do things for them. In uh, early World War II times, even, um, he got in a little bit of trouble as a kid because he was pretending to be Hitler and making all the neighborhood kids <laughs> pretend to be Germans. And he was like marching them around and making them goose step and do all kinds of crazy crap. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I think that was pre like gas chamber. So I don't think he was trying to gas anybody at this point, but I mean, he's definitely goose stepping around the place, but just a weird kid, weird kid all around. Um, super into religion, super into anything that captivated people. I think that's more what it was, was at home. He couldn't captivate the attention of his parents. So he was attempting to captivate another audience or learn how to captivate an audience. Um, you know, Jim Jones goes on to become a nurse and ends up getting um, married to Marceline Baldwin. Um, I think he's like 18 or 19 at the time. He's really young. Um, but this is the early 50s. Uh, no, that's actually 49. I'm sorry that they got married. And they moved to Indianapolis. And in Indianapolis at the time, you know, it's 1950s, 60s. What's the most major thing that's happening in our country at that time? You know, it's our desegregation and segregation laws and all that that's going on, right? It's a turbulent time in American history, for sure. Turbulent time. And I don't know if... So somewhere along the line... I think Jim Jones had some really good ideas. Um, so go ahead and, and cut that. Cause I know you're going to cut that. Like you've cut, you know, everything else where you, CJ, where you've pieced it together that we've, we've said bad things, but I think Jim Jones had some really good ideas about equality. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so <laughs> Jim Jones thought that everybody was equal, even as a young kid. Um, he would often get in fights with his father because it was a lot of people said that his father was a Klansman. Um, and he would often get in fights with his father about um, equality of all humans. Right. And a lot of what Jim was doing, um, his church was kind of. As he starts forming his own church, um, he took a, a student pastor spot at, at a church and he kind of formulated how he wanted to preach and things like that. But then he kind of broke off and started his own church. Um, at that time, it was actually, it wasn't called the People's Temple yet. I think it was called the Church of, I completely went blank. I cannot remember what the, what the name of his church was called, but it wasn't the People's Temple yet. Um, People's Temple Christian Church fellow, full gospel. Yeah, so it was a mouthful at that time. Sorry. Um, I knew it was something else, but then it ends up getting short into the people's temple. Um, but he's doing a lot of integrating, um, trying to integrate Indianapolis. He's taking his church, which is a mixed fellowship church and bringing them into restaurants and things like that. And essentially forcing these restaurants to serve um, the African-American population or the Hispanic population that's coming in with them. So he's forcing integration, and which, I mean, I completely agree with what he was trying to do. And then he would bring lots of businesses to these restaurants. So then the other restaurants would start to cave when they realize it makes good business sense to do this. So, I mean, really a lot of smart stuff there with, with what he was trying to do. Um, I think somewhere in the late 50s, early 60s, he kind of gets a little um, skewed, starts to have some affairs and things. Um, as that goes on, it starts to change a little bit, right? One of the 
one of the really interesting things. You know, in this at this time, you have a lot of, especially Methodist and Church of Christ and Pentecostal revivals going on, right? And these healing preachers that are coming about, right? They're going around, traveling around, healing people. Um, well, he kind of saw that as a way to capitalize. So he would start going to revivals or guest positions at other churches, and he would plant members of his church in the audience. And um, then he would make them get up and say, oh, I have this awful headache. Can you cure my headache? And he'd cure their headache headache right um and he it started off with just headaches and coughs he was curing he's like okay i gotta gotta small start small i can't just jump straight to the cancer i've got to start with the headaches practice it a bit it worked my way up to the cancer so eventually this thing gets huge and they're like on buses touring around the country um him and his whole church are on buses touring around the country like hey come uh come get yourself healed by jim jones the famous Healing man, right? So he comes to um, these churches or these, you know, big, not even churches, just shows, essentially. He's hosting shows. He has these shows, and I think this is one of the funniest things in the whole story, honestly. He is, has these designated nurses, okay? And he would pick people out of the crowd and say, hey, you have cancer. And they'd be like, no, I don't, I don't have cancer. He'd be like, yes, you have cancer our nurse will check you out and prove that you have cancer. Then she would go and somehow, I don't, I still don't even know how they did this sleight of hand, but they would take a a swab and they would swab the back of their throat. While they were swabbing the back of the throat, the nurse would drop in the back of their throat, ground up chicken livers somehow. This random person is getting chicken livers thrown in their throat. And then they start, they start swabbing their throat so hard that the person's like, pukes it up and the nurse picks it up and goes oh my god the cancer and like holding it up in the air she's like you have the cancer look and she's like holding it in front of their face uh, he or she there were some male nurses as well sorry um <laughs> but she's like holding or they're holding it in front of the in front of the person like you have the cancer look and here's the weirdest part then some random dude like jim jones would run down they'd be like oh my god and he'd run down and he'd be like oh you be healed and while they're doing that some other random dude who's this was his sole job. He would grab the chicken livers up off the ground and eat them. Like that was his job to eat the chicken livers that these people had just hacked up onto the ground so that no one could grab them and be like, hey, that's chicken livers. That ain't cancer. Which, I mean, if anybody knew anything. Like he would like, like secretly eat the chicken livers? No, he would eat them. He would like openly eat them. Like, and they were saying that was part of the process that he had to like embody it or something oh, like that. That somebody had to take on the cancer so that the other person would. Yeah, so get this it. guy was like channeling it or something like that. I don't know. Freaking weird. But he's like eating, he's like ah, eating all this freaking nasty, rotten chicken liver. And I don't know what kind of cancer you have that you're puking up black, like you got like lung cancer, maybe, or like stomach cancer. I mean, back then people didn't really know. They're just like, oh my Probably. god, it's the cancer. So this guy's crazy, right? So this tour is taking a lot out of Jim, right? So this is where it gets fun. So Jim's like, you know what? I'm, I'm waking up. I'm tired. I'm, I, just, I ain't got it no more. So in the mornings, he starts bumping some Coke. A little, little, uh, little Columbian Bam Bam every morning. 
And then he's following that up with some essentially Adderall. Um, he's taking that all morning. He's just alternating lines of Coke and Adderall. And his eyes start getting red. Okay. Like, of course, because he's, you know, freaking bumping like three lines of Coke a morning before 12, 12 in the afternoon. So his eyes start getting red all the time, just constantly beat red eyes. And um, he starts wearing this. This is where his dark sunglasses come in, where he's always got those shades on. Because he would tell his followers the reasons why he always had to wear the shades, even when they were inside, was because, not because he was coked out of his mind and his eyes were red, but because the power of the light of God within his eyes was so great, if he did not wear the sunglasses, it would blind them if they looked upon him. So, if I wear my sunglasses inside, it's not because I'm bumping coke. It's just because the power of the God inside me is too much. Okay. So, he's saying he's, uh, what's that dude's name from X-Men? Cyclops? Cyclops, yeah, essentially. He's got to wear glasses or else the light's going to just destroy everything. Right. Same way. That makes sense. So, I mean, we all know how quickly people start to deteriorate whenever they're on. You know, because he's taking... He's doing Adderall and Coke in the morning and he's taking lewds in the evening to go to sleep because he's taking so much Coke throughout the day that he, he can't go to sleep in the night. So then he's taking lewds to put him to sleep. Quaaludes. Sorry if you're not familiar with the street drug terms. Quaaludes in the evening to go to sleep. And uh, I mean, it's, he's having a wild time. You know, and one of the big things um, anytime you're on copious amounts of drugs that you're going to come across is paranoia. So Jim starts getting a little paranoid. He says, you know what? We're going to have to get out of Dodge. We're going to have to, we're going to have to move. Okay. So we start sending some people out to start putting some feelers out on uh, where they want to go. So he's got some missionaries out running around, looking around, um, ends up actually in Guyana. I don't really know how I, I had a hard time finding out how they picked Guyana, honestly, other than land uh, I've got some info on that, actually, on how they picked it. Go for it if you got it. So they um, originally they stopped. In, Guyana wasn't like the first choice. Jones stopped in there once on a mission. He was on a uh, missionary trip, basically, to Brazil. Mm -hmm. And okay. uh, he made a, a stop in Guyana at okay, one point, yeah. and he liked the the place. So that's one of the reasons. One of the, some of their first picks were um, Canada. They thought about moving to Canada, but they realized that Canada was too much like the United States, right? And that they would face persecution there as well. Yeah. Um, some of the other places they thought about were the Caribbean, like Barbados and Trinidad. That's where I would have gone. Um, I think eventually they decided that those places were too like touristy. I think right had too many westerners were, coming in. Yeah, they were too too well known about. I guess. Um, so one of the main reasons that he finally settled on Guyana is because it was already a socialist government. Mm, uh, yeah. The People's Temple practiced what's called apostolic apostolic socialism mm -hmm. which is basically mixing the socialism and communist government ideas with religion yeah 
um, Guyana was already a socialist government, so it aligned with his ideals that he had. The country was small and poor, so he believed – so Jones was already an influential person in the United States. He would met with Vice President um, Walter Mondale and First Lady Rosalind Carter. Carter. Uh, he had been elected as like – in the city of San Francisco, he sat on the committee of yep. – uh, he was the chairman of the Committee of Housing, I think, mm -hmm. Yep. or something like that. Yeah, housing development. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he was an influential person and knew his way around government and politics. Yeah. So he knew Guyana was small and poor, and so he think that he would he thought he would be easily able to um, gain influence there, basically, right. and use yeah. the country and use the politicians in the country as kind of like a, a safety net. Yeah. Like he could you like if the U.S. ever tried to get him on anything or anything like that, he could be right. like, "Oh, but I'm a, I have political uh, immunity through right. Guyana and all right. that stuff." Yeah. Um. Also, Guyana sits on the border of Venezuela, and at that point in time, Venezuela was uh kind of doing some rough stuff to the to everybody around there. And it was easy to talk Guyana into letting his people move there and them relaxing their immigration laws so his people could move there yeah. uh, legally. Maybe that's where um, I'll move my cult. Should I move my cult to Guyana? Sure. I was thinking, South America's nice, I've heard. I was thinking like Chile, honestly, because I mean like Chile, you get the best of both worlds. You go to Chile, you're on the Pacific Ocean, you can get up in the mountains, and then like in 20 minutes, you're on the beach. But in 20 minutes, you're up in the mountains, so... I was talking about that the other day with some people, actually. Like, uh, it was a uh, no shit. The U.S. goes to crap. Where do you leave? Where do you move to? Mm -hmm. And I think my my three I got three places, mm -hmm. and it's Chile, Iceland, and Switzerland. Yep, Switzerland. Switzerland. Iceland's way up there for me too. Actually, we're we're planning on um, going to Iceland in uh, February or March. Me and Bailey and the boys are. Iceland would be tight. Taking a taking a vacation. Oh, but, but anyway, yeah, Chile, Chile definitely. Um. Also, yeah, that's another reason South America is just a nice place. Mm -hmm. The weather's nice. But yeah, he thought. I mean, uh, South America or Guyana let him kind of come in there and do whatever he wanted because right. having that many American civilians on yeah. the border uh, of Guyana towards venezuela which there is where they were at mm -hmm. um having that many american civilians there would kind of deter the venezuelans from invading right because the americans would back up any any counteroffensive that that yep. yeah yeah Anyways, that's kind of what the that's kind of what some of the reasons he chose guyana yes yeah. which are all really valid reasons i mean if i'm looking to relocate a cult those are really safety security and the financial Stability. Those are the number one things I'm going to be looking at. Now, yeah. another thing that, that really brought him to Guyana was the distance from the U.S. Um, because Canada, they were worried about people hoofing it back to the U.S. Um, I do remember them talking about that. But Guyana, whereas you could, yeah. it would only be a couple-hour trip from the port of Miami, you would have to have a ship or you'd have to be able to walk all the way up through Central America. Yeah, so... 
he was scared of that because he had already had um I think it was eight defectors. Yes. And they they were kind of the ones that really opened up the can of worms on mm-hmm. um the people's temple. Yeah. Because Definitely. they like before the defectors everybody kind of knew they were a cult, but no one really knew what they did. They were kind of like, right. oh, they're just a bunch of whack jobs, you know, right. whatever. But when the defectors defected and they went to the media and they started explaining to people like what went on uh, behind closed doors, that's kind of when a lot of the political and uh, media persecution started to happen. And that's when Jones really started to get uncomfortable, and that's when he decided to leave the United States. Yeah, yeah. and you know he was constantly saying the CIA and the FBI were out to get him, which I, mean, I don't. Oh, uh, he's extremely they, paranoid. They probably were, he probably wasn't he was, wrong though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they have a they have a tendency that the federal government has a tendency to go after cults. It seems like but, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that at a later date. Um, but the whole moving to Guyana thing definitely there was a lot that that went, went into that. You know, the first group they sent a couple people there about two or three years before the whole church actually moves um, to start building cabins, so then they can start coming in waves or phases. Um, to Jonestown so they get there they buy the they buy the land they start building cabins and people start coming but there's a constant no matter how many cabins get built there's never enough cabins for the people coming there's more people coming than they have housing for so there's a lot of kind of uh, I guess under the radar stuff going on at the time Jones has four mistresses um, he's actually somehow conned his wife into agreeing that it's okay for him to have these mistresses. He actually, what he told her was she had had some kind of injury. Um, I can't remember what it was where she injured her lower back. So she could not satisfy his primal urges. Um, so he said, Hey, since you can't do this anymore, so I still love you. It's not that I don't love you anymore, but I got to do this thing. You know what I'm saying? So he took on these mistresses, um, or I think he actually called them his concubines, um, but they were mistresses, essentially, that he was taking on as his, his dates, essentially. And he was like openly, it's, it's actually said that at one point there was not a female within his inner circle that he did not sleep with on a regular basis. So, and we're talking like 30 or 40 females. So he definitely steps it up. Um, and that's, that's a very recurring thing in cults, too. I don't know why the leader's always sleeping with everybody. Um, yeah. Uh, he also, so once they moved to um, Guyana, once the whole group kind of gets down there and they start going about their life, uh, reports say that Jones kind of switches. Like they said it was like a light switch had happened. And he starts to get really, really far away from the uh, religious aspects yeah. of the cult and goes deeper into like the political aspects and he basically starts giving classes on like soviet uh government and teachings he starts preaching about how the u.s is failing and that they should make an alliance with the soviet union yeah Uh, he starts reading and teaching a bunch about um kim il-sung which mm-hmm. was at that point in time the leader of North Korea, uh, Mao Zedong, the leader of China. Uh, he just starts really, really 
hammering in these communist beliefs yeah and really trying to get his people to kind of agree with that side that side of the spectrum right you know and and the, the, i think the straw that kind of broke the camel's back here was um when congressman leo ryan came to visit um you know at this point a lot of people in the u.s are getting suspicious because at this point you have over 900 americans living in um, guyana who are there and a lot of people think some of them are being held against their will um all the letters are giving glowing reviews of the situation there. Um, well, that's because they're literally censor- censoring every bit of outgoing mail and every bit of incoming mail. So that none of the members can say, hey, uh, we haven't had air conditioning the whole time, but he's got a generator and a radio and air conditioning and all that. But we don't have any of that. So, yeah. So before no, go you uh, go further into that, when they when the people first moved there. They worked from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. six days a week with an hour for lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, every single, basically every single day. And then on Sundays, what they did is practiced uh, – studied religion for that time instead. So for 12 hours a day, they studied their religion, which was basically just Soviet communism and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um Jones, I think, gets hurt or gets sick or something like that. His wife takes over for a while. She backs it down to five days a week, eight hours a day, basically your normal work day in the United States now. Right. Um, but he adds on to that, uh, which is one of the things he got from Kim Il-sung in North Korea, is eight hours of work, eight hours of study. So after that eight hours of work every day, people would have to go home and study for eight hours, they would have to study relig- their their religion mm-hmm. and their political beliefs yep. every day. And that then the kind of life they had church every lived. night. They had church yeah. every night after that. And Jim would preach from like, I can't remember when he started, like 8 p.m. I think it was or 9 p.m. He would preach from then until he would pass out, which was oftentimes 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. He would preach to and everybody would have to be present and listening to him preach and oftentimes it was just him coked out of his mind rambling about what was going on or that the government was coming to get him or things like this well the government did eventually decide (laughs) that they were going to do something uh congressman leo ryan he decided that hey i'm gonna go on a fact-finding mission i'm gonna go investigate and see what's going on in jonestown for myself so um Jim Jones is like, shit, they're coming. So he's like, okay, okay, everybody on your best behavior, best behavior. You know, gets them all in their best dress. He's like, okay, everybody's great. Everything's fine. We're going to be okay. He gets there. Congressman Ryan likes what he sees so far. He's like, you know what? This ain't the greatest living conditions, but it could be a lot worse, right? He's walking around. He's like, you know what? Not that bad. Jones does a pretty good job of hiding all the uh, people that originally would talk bad about it. But then right as Ryan's about to step out the gate, four members um, come up and like, hey, can we, uh, you got a plane? Can we, can we hit your ride back to the U.S. with you? He's like, oh, yeah, sure, hop in. So they jump in his truck. He books it to the airstrip. Um, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is a security team that Jim Jones had in place. This is like his uh, Spetsnaz socialist Nazis. I mean, these guys are like, 
he's brainwashed these guys into believing everything, following everything, um, so on. And he so literally forth. he literally called them the Red Squad. Yeah, the Red Squad. Yeah, that's what they were called. Yeah, they were just like anything. They were security supposed to be keeping the, it safe, but really what they're doing is keeping people from leaving, keeping defectors from from running away. Um, so the Red Squad says, "Oh crap." A bunch of people just hopped in there with, with the congressman. We got to go catch him. Okay, so they go and they chase him to the airstrip. Once they get to the airstrip, something happens. There's there's a bit of conjecture on um, on how it actually starts, but um, supposedly one of the defectors, Larry Layton, he draws a weapon on the Red Brigade, and says, "You ain't taking me back," and then a firefight starts. The firefight actually ends up with um, five people being killed. Congressman Ryan, um, NBC reporter Don Harris, NBC cameraman Bob Brown, San Francisco examiner photographer Greg Robinson, and Temple member Patricia Parks. So those all die from this attack by the Red Brigade at the airstrip. Now, I do find it interesting, though, that... All these people die at the, at the airstrip attack, right? All these people that die are essentially reporters. Um, just a few people survive. Um, a couple of reporters survive. It's almost like they were targeting the reporters, like they were worried about what they were going to say because only one of the defectors actually dies. So it almost to me seems like they were targeting those reporters. I don't, I don't know. It's just, it just seems a little a little bit too much for me on that, you know? It seems like they were picking them out. But that's where things would definitely take a, a bad turn for the People's Temple. Um, because now at this point, yes, the U.S. government is, is going to do something. They're not going to just let this, let this go, you know? Yeah, um, I mean, you killed a congressman. Yeah, and five, <laughs> and no, you no. know, four other U.S. citizens. And I mean, we might not see it as much these days, but I mean, even if you look at what the U.S. government does, if an American citizen, like say, gets kidnapped, like Somali pirates, for instance, this is the most common instance where U.S. people get kidnapped by in Somalia or Sudan. I mean, they'll send the SEAL team in and kill all those guys and get back the American citizen. You know, that's still that was the that was the mentality still at that point in time. They were still saying, okay, well, you know, we're around the time of what this is 1970 78, I believe. 78, yeah. So I mean we're we're coming off of um something we talked about last week, Iran Contra. Um, we're coming off um the the Iranian hostage um situation. So we don't def- we don't want other things like this to go unanswered for essentially so this is whenever jim jones starts negotiating with the russian government the soviet union and he's trying to plan a mass exodus of his people to the soviet union um you know and one thing that always gets me is why didn't they just hop the border and go into venezuela which is a soviet um What's the I don't state? think the Venezuelans would have treated them so kindly. You don't think so? 
I think that I think if they would have hopped the ball, I think Jones knew that too. Is that even though he was a Soviet sympathizer and mm-hmm. you know uh, loved communism and all this stuff, I don't think that if they would have hopped the border into Venezuela, the Venezuelans would have been like, "Oh, hey, buddy," <laughs> you know. They, they definitely would have been like, "You're white, right? You're American. Yeah, you're dead." Kind of sure. thing. Yeah. I mean, because that, that's that's exactly what was imprisoned happening. Imprisoned all of them, killed yeah. all of them, something. Yeah. You're right. You're right. That's probably what would happen. Um, and around no, this I mean, time, the Venezuelans were like notoriously ruthless. Oh yeah. Oh. Like they were known. You don't really hear about it a lot, which is really strange. But um, like you always hear about how Mao Zedong and mm-hmm. uh. All the all the little Kimmies over in Korea, douchebags. <laughs> no one talks about Venezuela. Like mm-hmm. the the dude in Venezuela was an ass. <laughs> so Guerrero. Yeah, I can't really. She Guerrero was uh Panama, Panama, right? Yeah, yeah. Guerrero then probably yeah. No, Guerrero was uh, the Cuban Revolution. I can't remember. I know who you're talking about. I can't remember what his name is though. Um. I'm actually gonna look it up. So, yeah, so we'll have find it, out but, real quick. <laughs> um, it was just a Chavez, Chavez. That's it. Yes, Hugo Chavez. Why didn't Why didn't I remember that? Pretty simple name. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's actually, so what Jonestown is obviously famous for is drinking the Kool Aid, right? I mean, that's where we're going with this. We're going to the Kool Aid. Right, everybody knows that. Everybody's wanting to just want us want wanting us, sorry, to get to the Kool-Aid. Um, there's actually one Kool-Aid um, trial run, maybe might be the right word. Uh, practice run for the Kool-Aid. Um, a few months prior to the actual Kool-Aid events. So on one day, Jones gets everybody together and he runs out there and he says, Hey, we're gonna wakes them up all up in the morning, has them all come out and drink this like black tarry liquid and essentially testing if everybody will drink it. And he essentially got everybody to drink it. It's like, okay, well, they all did it. So good. Put this in my back pocket when I need it. We'll just uh, pull this card out. So that, and that was prior to the whole um, airstrip disaster right with where the fight where ryan gets killed all of them so after ryan gets killed he gets everybody together and he makes a big batch of kool-aid okay makes a big batch of kool-aid and grape flavored grape flavored yes actually don't forget he he made it the best flavor at least yes yes but you know and it wasn't it wasn't that uncommon because that's often did you just say you hate grapes cj yeah Grape Grape's the Kool-Aid best Kool-Aid. No. no. What's the best Kool-Aid then? I don't think that, I don't like Kool-Aid actually. Oh. Of course. Okay, so you can't tell me that grape's the worst if you don't even like Kool-Aid. If I was gonna drink Kool-Aid, I would probably drink like a watermelon or a cherry. I would not. Watermelon, had, really? Watermelon? Yeah. yeah. So like, if you were <laughs> oh gonna God. give me, if you were gonna give me Kool-Aid, right? This man wouldn't have killed me because I'd have been like grape. Nah, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay. 
Well, uh, he would have killed you anyways, but he would we'll not have killed that. me. He would not have killed me. <laughs> All right, the, can you guys see my screen? Kool Aid. Uh, not yet. It no. just says to start a screen sharing. Okay, resume share. Can you see it now? No. No, you can't. Negative. Why? All I see is that it says you started screen sharing. Anyways, uh, great Kool Aid's the best. But <laughs> it's not, it's not. Whatever. Stop the share here. I'm 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 wanting to uh, let me see here if I can properly do this. Share screen one. What were you am, saying before? I am Christian, screen sharing. Before we right? started. Oh, yeah. you are. Yep. Okay. I have um, I have tabbed down here on accident. Just don't type in Y O U. Whoopsie. Sorry, I have opened up 9,000 tabs now. I'm trying to pull up our, our Jonestown. Um, our Jonestown images here that we're going we're gonna to show. So this was not unusual for him to make big batches of Kool-Aid like this. Okay. So if you can see here on, you guys see my screen now? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully it's recording the proper screen share, but you can see here this big, bucket essentially a huge tub i don't know why anybody was drinking out of this thing one i'd be like that's pretty unsanitary i'm not drinking yeah out of it's like a bucket. it's like a horse trough yeah exactly <laughs> it's like like just drink it out of this bucket it'll be all right so he makes up a big old batch of kool-aid in multiple different buckets lines everybody out says all right everybody's drinking the kool-aid so they go through and they all drink the kool-aid and now the trial run that he did beforehand he told them all that he poisoned them and they were going to die to see how they would react. So they knew, well, if he's doing it again, we're probably actually getting poisoned this time. He was joking last time, but this time he's probably really going to poison us. So, I mean, and it wasn't a significant amount of people that completely refused. Um, Tristan, it sounded like you had, you had to have the number of how many people actually didn't, how many people got shot rather than. Yeah, so I'll start off by saying that Joan, one of Jones's preachings that he made a lot was a term He specifically said the term revolutionary suicide. So this suicide wasn't like a political belief kind of thing. They didn't think, oh, we have to kill ourselves at the same time on this exact date so we can all go to heaven. This was like a we should all kill ourselves at the same time. That way we get a lot of news coverage, and that way we make a statement. Yes. Like that's all this was. Was like, oh, we're gonna kill ourselves so the government can't get us, right? Um, because I mean, at this point, they knew the government was coming. They knew the yeah, U.S. was like they knew they knew that something was something was happening, something was happening. Um, shoot, where's the, my numbers at? There it is. Okay, so nine hundred nine people total mm-hmm. died um, from this. Suicide poisoning is what it was, or yeah. cyanide poisoning. Cyanide, yeah. Cyanide. Nine hundred nine people died from nine nine cyanide poisoning. I'm getting really mixed <laughs> up here. Everything's rhyming. Um, so all out of those nine hundred nine people, only seventy of them were not suicide. So um, seventy of them had to be injected with cyanide. Yeah. There That's less than ten percent. Yeah, there was injection locations found on their body. Um, a third of the victims 
so uh, 300-ish people were minors. 304. So, yeah. Honestly, most of the people um, probably didn't know they were being poisoned. If I had to guess, a lot of them probably didn't realize that they were committing suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'd say he, he – I, I mean he made it the batch in secret. Many of them probably were like, yeah, let's stick it to the man and drink mm-hmm. the Kool-Aid yeah. and they die or whatever. But I'm sure a lot of them, especially the child, young children, yeah. had no idea what was going on. You know, and, and they probably thought just it was like, just like last time before whenever yeah. he did it, but he was joking. Uh, yeah, oh, he's so, he's just joking. You know, he just, would never do that to us. That's just Jim. He wouldn't do that to us. Yeah. So um, because of the death toll here, Jonestown is considered the largest loss of American life in a deliberate act at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it remains to have that uh, – infamous trophy until 9-11 yeah. so from 1978 until 2001 um this was the largest loss of american life in a deliberate act so you know i've i've, I've been thinking like this the past couple of minutes we've been talking about this you have 909 people okay? <laughs> you have 700 who are adults Okay. I wonder how many people were in the Red Brigade. Um, because how did they control? You know what I'm saying? Like, there was 918 they had guns and no one else did. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There was 918 total members of the People's Temple Agricultural Project in Jonestown, um, and 909 died. So just nine people survived. Well, that's what I see. I I don't think everyone that was that died was also part of the community either, because I I'll see if I can find it real quick. But I'm pretty sure at its peak it had just under 900 people, in in the actual uh, town. Right. Yeah, because I mean you had some locals that that joined the fold as well um, once they uh, got there. After the mass migration, Jonestown became overcrowded. Jonestown's population was slightly under 900 at its peak in 1978. I mean, because that's some. There were some people that were. uh, uh, That bird's just chilling. Yeah, no, that's that's my favorite (laughs) picture of this whole thing as this bird. I forgot I was screen sharing until you said that, but. (laughs) But um, (laughs) the U.S. congressman that was killed too. Uh, Leo Ryan. Mm-hmm. So there's, I mean, there's several people that weren't. There's also, um, so Georgetown uh, was the capital of mm-hmm. Guyana, mm-hmm. Um, and the People's Temple had a headquarters in Georgetown where they ran like it was kind of a logistics kind of thing, like right. The people in Georgetown would like buy supplies and stuff like that to be sent to Jonestown. Right. Um, in Georgetown, they didn't have any Kool-Aid. So what the lady there did, it was her and her three children that were stationed at the uh, headquarters there in Georgetown. Right. And Jonestown communicated by shortwave radio. Yep. Um, so she got a radio call that told her that, hey, 
this is going down. It's time. And she was one of those people that was all about it. Right. And what she does is she takes three of her children, her three children into the small bathroom of the Joan Georgetown headquarters. She murders the two youngest ones with a kitchen knife. Ooh. Yeah. Think about that. This lady is so dedicated to her cult that she murders her two young children. One of them was 11 and I think one of them was eight or something like that. She murders two of her young children with a kitchen knife. Her oldest daughter, who is 21, helps her commit suicide. So the daughter helps the mom commit suicide. I don't know how you help someone commit suicide, but whatever. And then shortly after that, the young daughter kills herself, all with the same kitchen knife. That is crazy. Yeah. See, I think that's honestly convincing 900 people to kill themselves by drinking some poison is one thing. But you can convince a woman to murder two of her young children. That's Over shortwave radio. You're not Over even radio. There. You're not even yeah, there. You weren't even there. You were you literally just said, Hey, it's going down. And she did it. That's nuts to me. I mean, that's just that blows my mind that a woman had that deep seated beliefs and not even a religion, but political yeah. ideals. That's all this cult was. It wasn't yeah. even a religion. No. It was like political ideals. Yeah. It's like, oh, we all have to be equal and have the same amount of money because yep. God said so. Yep. <laughs> Anyways, before wow. I get on a big tangent about and uh, completely upset some people about their religions and stuff, I I'll let you continue. No, I mean you know, and we're honestly one of the things he said too, go for it. One of the, one of the things he said too was that um, speaking of the the communism or the socialism, whatever you want to call it, was that he was say, he was he literally come out and said, hey if you're born in America, you're born into like capitalism and you're born into sin by being born into communism and socialism. You're actually born without sin. Right on. I like it. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what his whole mantra was about was like how capitalism basically causes greed, which causes you to be a sinner, which causes you to be evil. Whereas communism and socialism, everybody's equal. Everybody shares everything. Everybody loves each other because no one has anything more than someone else. Yeah. Everyone is equal. Except, except for the person for the at the top. Yep. Except for the people at the top, which is what Jones was, yep. which is how exactly how he acted. All of his people beneath him. Don't get me wrong. Jones didn't live in some fancy mansion down there, even though at the end of his life – he held on to assets worth over $29 million. Yeah. Um, he didn't live in some big fancy mansion. He lived in a little shack, um, but at least his had a refrigerator and food. Yeah, because the other ones didn't, and yeah. all they had to eat was peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Most of the people that lived in Jonestown did not have a steady supply of food or water. Um, the closest water, the closest clean water source was, so, was like nine miles or something like that from them. Um, That's one thing also to... I didn't understand is if you're planning to move a large amount of people there, 
I'm going to put it somewhere with a nearby fresh water source. Oh, that's the thing is that um, Guyana sold them literally probably some of the worst land in Guyana. It was bad for agriculture. It was far away from a water source. It was right next to Venezuela. Like it was all around a terrible location. Well, I and think Jones I think and, like, and you're right there. That's honestly good. they wanted to plant them right there next to Venezuela as a political deterrent for Venezuela. Yeah, that was the whole reason Guyana let them in, on there. Let them yeah. in at all. Yeah. Is because Guyana wanted them along the northern border where they would repel basically as a barrier. Right. Like if you want to get to us down here, you have to go through 900 Americans first. Yeah. And if 900 Americans get killed by Venezuelans, the U.S. is going to invade Venezuela. Yeah. I mean, that's how we work. Which back then. we were already on the verge of, anyways. We weren't a bunch of sissies back in the day. Yeah. And well, that's one of the things, too, I think, um, with them going, where, putting them where they are, like you said, uh, so far away from a source of water, yeah. would also lead to them being dependent on. Jim on the government provide you with oh, clean water too, yeah. like yeah. yeah that's another thing too is that like so they did all their communications through shortwave radio which Jim was the only one that was allowed to operate yes so he made all of the radio calls to the United States and to Georgetown so he dictated basically how much food they got yeah. what they got all of that you know My and at the same time he also he also had a PA system through that radio that he would like just wake people up randomly in the middle of the, in the middle of like 3 a.m. Be like, Hey, I just thought about this thing that I want to preach about real quick. And he would start preaching about it over this PA system. That was the same, same base. It's, it's I yeah. would have, I would have left. I mean, honestly, I understand um, joining a cult. I can see myself in a situation where I might would join a cult. Um, preferably <laughs> I would found, I would found or start a cult, but um, you know, I just, I don't see how 900 people. Oh, if I'm joining a cult of any sorts, it's because it's providing me with a better lifestyle than exactly, I have now. Exactly. And that is not a better lifestyle than I have now. Living in a shed, uh, eating barely any food, working eight hours a day, then studying bullshit religion for the last, and politics for the last eight hours a day. Yep. Like, that sounds awful. That sounds awful. And literally just being a human meat shield for the government of Guyana. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, this dude's banging your wife. Your husband. Oh, yeah. See, he was that's kind I of. That's where I want to go. Mean, I was going to bring that up in a minute. Uh, that's my favorite part about the whole, because we were talking about, like, the whole. He was the, fluid, huh? The rules for Ooh, thee, not for me yeah. type of thing. Yeah. The rules was for that, thee, not for me. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's like he, um. Well, let me stop, let me find it. Da, 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 da. I said that Jones would occasionally have sex with male followers. Followers. Followers? No followers. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was never as often. Me and Kristen are the ones drinking and you're over here that can't talk. Yeah. Male followers. But it's like he said never as often as he did Follow with women. Um, he stated that because uh, they weren't like he was everyone in his cult, no, none of them were allowed to have um like affairs outside of their like marriage right except for him and his logic behind that was it was it was for him to be able to connect with all of these people 
Yeah, it was to build a relationship. Man, it's he all also, about the relationships. He also stated that he was the only true heterosexual. Him, nobody else is truly straight but him. But, you know, honestly, there, um, there is reports that women could not resist him. Did you know that? He was irresistible to women. <laughs> Scientifically proven, scientists had even proven it, that he was irresistible to women. And that... Tristan, you just went away. I lost your video. But he was um, – you could not – you could not resist the allure of Jim Jones. Honestly, I see it. He's a pretty good-looking dude. I mean, I uh, imagine if someone was going to kill me if I said no. Hmm? Oh, oh, you mean – okay, you're saying yeah, that you yeah, couldn't resist. Yeah. I understand what you're saying yeah. now. Okay. I think – I think, but I think – I mean he can obviously control the very part of their – a big part of their life. Oh, yeah. I mean honestly, once it gets down to it, it's all about conditioning really. The same way that – I mean, the same way that you or me were conditioned by the military or Tristan was conditioned by the military to act and behave in certain ways is the same way that cults condition their members to, for instance, conditioning them to be so okay with just a peanut butter sandwich that you'd be okay with sucking someone off for a ham and ham and turkey sandwich, you know? That's the thing is like it's – it. it I mean, they didn't just throw this all out there at the very beginning. It wasn't something that was like, yeah. hey, come join the cult. Uh, you're not going to own anything. Um, right. I'm going to sleep with you. Um, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's something that I was like, hey, you know, let's ha we have this amazing life here. Right. And let's slowly pull some stuff away. Yeah, exactly. Um, wow. And honestly, that's how all cults are. I mean, every cult that, you're, that we're ever going to talk about or that we're ever going to study or read about – it all starts off as one thing and then it transitions. It evolves into something else that ends up with everybody getting slept with or killed. So, but I'm what happened in Guyana? Um, I think that it really brought a lot of attention to cults, honestly. Um, because at the time, I don't, Tristan, I don't know if you know this, but. One of our very close relatives, I don't think, I don't know if you've, you've met them yet. Um, we'll talk about this a little more offline, but one of our really close relatives around the same time was in a cult um, called The Way. And actually, um, your, your dad and my mom both um, grew up, spent some of their childhood in that environment. Um, I think it honestly be really good to get their opinions or their, you know, what they remember about it. Um, but cults were huge in the 70s, the 80s, huge, huge, huge. There was so many different cults out there um, that you couldn't even track all of them. And I think that Jonestown really woke up a lot of people to, to these cults, you know, and, and, and to what was going on and this mass brainwashing. Um, so I think that – I think that it um, – really shed a lot of light yeah i think the 60s and 70s was a really uh really good time for cults i mean everybody was high pretty much all the time and, yep. um all that stuff so it was like that was just the thing to do i mean it's just, uh, 
like, I don't know. Throughout the 60s, communism and socialism really gained a lot of ground um, and a lot of influence. Yeah. So, and most cults kind of follow that sort of thing where everyone's equal except for the ones at the top. Right, yeah. Um, everybody needs to share everything. Everybody needs to be nice to each other, which is, I mean, what the the very basic, basic, basic forms of socialism and communism are is right. like uh, everybody's equal. Everybody's nice to each other. Everything's great. No one's better than you, which is why I think a lot of young people today, I feel like we're going through this exact same issues right i mean in the 60s everybody loved communism yeah because everybody wanted peace and love and harmony and stuff and i think we're going through the same thing today i think we'll have another decade or so Mm -hmm. of of that is uh everybody thinking that communism is the way to go simply because everybody's nice to me right whenever we're all communists but you know, it's not really the way it works. Um, just just to clarify things um, regarding my cult that I'm in the I'm in the foundation of um, building right now, it is libertarian by nature. Okay, so you can have whatever you want. We're not going to take your money. We're not going to take your stuff. It's very libertarian. You can have whatever you want. You can smoke whatever you want. You can love whoever you want, and you can have your own stuff. We won't take your stuff. So just, um, <laughs> shameless plug for my uh, cult. I still haven't named it yet. I don't know what I'm going to name it. So still on that one. You better come up with something clever. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about it. Because something as simple as People's Temple is not going to. Do you know why he? Do you know me. why he called it People's Temple? No. So this is the laziest friggin' naming thing ever. Okay, so he called it the People's Temple because he, a building he bought was actually a Jewish synagogue prior to um, it becoming his church, and it had carved on the side of it, like literally carved out temple. So he's like, well. Shit, I gotta put temple in the name now. So then he just put people's temple right there because temple was already carved in the side of the building. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you gotta work with what you're given. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and honestly, happens. going back to where I started with this, I think that where he started wasn't a bad, a bad thing. You know, he started with equality and really honestly some free market capitalism ideas and somewhere in the 60s he starts to get into the socialist mindset but at the at the foundation of it he actually had some good ideas regarding desegregation and things like that and when when they make the move to Guyana yeah is when he did uh members of the group reportedly notice a switch mm-hmm. um and also, there is a lot of biasedness, right, in reporting in this in, in all of this, right? Because the people who loved Jim Jones and everything that he did uh, died, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Like they it's all just, killed just themselves because the they kill thought themselves. he was, yeah. yeah, they thought he was yeah. a genius. Yeah. Um. So really, the only like anecdotal evidence that you get from anybody about Jonestown and Jim Jones himself is going to be kind of on the not so great side uh, simply just because those people were the defectors and the ones that didn't like him very much. Right. 
But, um, yeah, when whenever he gets his first set of defectors, those first eight defectors or whatever that defected in San Francisco, yes, and went to the media and kind of started bashing him and all this stuff, that's really where you see him kind of go more left leaning, right, and really try to like, I don't right. know, hammer down and that those kind of the ideas. socialist ideologies. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Also, another thing that now I am I am going to play drunk dead devil's advocate here for a second. Okay. Um, so like you said, all the reporting that we have regarding this is biased, obviously. Right now, what was Jim Jones worried about the CIA, the FBI coming and attacking all his people. Right. Mm-hmm. So again, I do not believe this. I am just tossing this out there. Okay. What, what if they did? What if he didn't force them to drink the Kool-Aid, but the CIA did? Hmm. You guys are really quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I I guess. (laughs) Or maybe maybe Jones was CIA himself. I mean, was he in the MKUltra program? That's kind of a, I mean, I think that's kind of a theory that that is out there is that uh, Jones was San Francisco. If you uh, don't oh, remember, God, you're right. San Francisco was the main headquarters of the People's Temple. MK uh, San Francisco was also one of the main locations where uh, MK Ultra and Operation Midnight Climax happened. Um. San Francisco today is uh, filled with people shitting in the streets. So I think that I can, I can MK Ultra that. I've been happened. there and I've seen I've seen the people <laughs> shitting in the streets. Yeah, uh, MK Ultra started in San Francisco and it just carried its weirdness on to the very end. Um, so I think it's a very good possibility that while it's not really recorded anywhere or anything like that, like most of the MK Ultra victims or subjects or whatever you want to say um jim jones definitely could have been involved in some sort of cia operation or something like that think of how influential influential the guy was i mean he was right head of the committee of the housing development in san francisco uh which when you think of it as like a a lot of people where we're from don't really think about things like this and don't really think of like political offices as a big deal. Like mayor back home ain't shit. If you're mayor back home, you're deciding on when to turn on the Christmas lights or some something stupid like that. Like mayors that are in large cities like that with millions right. of people, they have serious political power. Oh, yeah. Like Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani is one of the, you know, he's a former mayor of New York City. He's one of the biggest political players in the country. Exactly. So even though the, and I think that's how a lot of these people uh, that are messed up in the head and really do some harm in the government kind of fly under the radar. Yeah. Is that they get into positions like this. Where they're like, oh, I'm just the 
committee of you know housing blah blah right. blah but they have serious political power and it's just no one really realizes it because they're like oh well he's not the governor he doesn't matter right but he could have had some serious power back then he could have been a serious target right is that's where i'm getting at with this yeah because of him being in a political office and having some serious influence he definitely could have been a target for things like mk ultra <laughs> or midnight climax he definitely could have been a target of blackmail oh definitely i definitely could have been a target see him of cia climax. assassination yeah i definitely could see him getting getting up in midnight climax as many affairs as he was having and how he said women just were so drawn to him you know midnight climax was in san francisco and it was a brothel I definitely exactly. could see him getting um, one oh, more thing. Women just throw themselves at me. Well, I wonder why. Like they're trying to get something out of you. Exactly. Exactly. I have one more thing here. I actually kind of wanted to talk a little bit. Take the shades off here. It's bright in here. One of the things that I wanted to um, mention was a couple of the conspiracy theories surrounding Mr. Jones and the Jonestown Massacre. I wanted to kind of go over a couple things here. Um, I've jotted down some notes. I'm just going to kind of read from here. Um, there is a, a little bit of conspiracy theory involving the CIA, um, as we mentioned, and that is partly because um, Leo Ryan, whenever he got killed, his top aide, uh, Joe Halsinger, he actually ended up becoming the head of the Democratic Party. Joe Halsinger did. Um, he, he received a White House call detailing the exact number of people killed and their source was a CIA report from the scene the day that it happened. So the CIA reportedly had assets on site at Jonestown. Now, I don't know if the CIA maybe had someone embedded in Jonestown um, that ended up being able to get away from the whole suicide thing and reported that out. Or what that was, but the CIA is on record saying they had an asset at Jonestown the day of the suicide. So, even if, even if Jonestown wasn't necessarily the CIA target, what's a better place for an American to hide? Right, right next to Venezuela. Right. I mean. The CIA was known for toppling governments and spying on communists and all that stuff. Right. Like that's that's you're a white dude in yep. the middle of South America. Where else are you gonna go? You know, it's just like it makes oh, great sense. That's perfect. There's this large community of Americans right on the border of Venezuela where I can easily just hop over, do some spying for a while, come back. It, it makes total sense. Uh, the CIA definitely could have planted agents. Um, whether Jones knew or not is one thing, but the CIA definitely could have planted agents within definitely. the People's Temple to not only spy on him and the cult, but to spy on Venezuela and Guyana as well. Because that's just what we do. Right. Um, there is also some... Back and forth on the death count. Um, that is interesting. So uh, let me go through my notes here just a second. I've seen that as well. I actually had a really hard time finding a death count. Yeah. 
And some finally, and I eventually just picked one that kind of sounded in the middle and reasonable, yeah. which is where I got the 909. Yep. So I'll just, I'm going to read from my notes here. Um, the U.S. military actually didn't arrive till several days later. I mean, we didn't really have a whole lot of assets in play um, in Guyana. They had to bring assets, um, actually Navy assets in to verify the death counts. Um, but once they arrived, the death count just kept kind of ticking up every once in a while. So first it was 700, then 780, then seven days after um, there was a report of 909 dead. Okay. That was the final report you get. But whenever the Guyanese army um, arrived on site at Jonestown, they said there was exactly 408 people dead. They said that 408 people have killed themselves while another 500 managed to flee into the surrounding jungle. So that's 908 people. Okay. So they're saying the Guyanese army is saying before the U S military is even present, they're saying 408 people have committed suicide and 500 have fleed into the surrounding jungle. Okay. Then the U.S. military arrives a few days later and they say, oh, it's 700. Oh, it's 780. And then seven days later, they say, oh, actually, it's 909 people with four people at the temple and five people of Leo Ryan's delegation. So you're saying that uh, the U.S. military showed up and just started schwacking Jonestown people? I'm saying that's a conspiracy. In the jungle? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying that's a conspiracy, yes. Because the Guyanese army is very exact about this. 408 people have killed themselves, and more than 500 have fleed into the jungle. I don't see where they... I mean, I don't see why they would say that if that wasn't true, right? Like, why would they say, oh, well, 400 killed themselves, but there's another 500 out here in the jungle somewhere. Is it possible that... Cyanide poisoning took a little bit longer on some of the other people. I don't think. I mean, cyanide poisoning. Let me see what the death death rate. It's usually an hour. I don't really know really how like cyanide necessarily works. I mean, I read online that it causes death within minutes. Um, but I don't know. Maybe if some of these people were under thirty minutes, take as much of a dose or whatever. Right. Maybe they had time to kind of scurry off into the jungle and die in the jungle, and they just took a while to be found, or I don't, I don't know. So a single tablespoon of potassium cyanide will kill 90% of everybody within 30 minutes. 90% of everybody that takes it within 30 minutes. And then the other people being if they have a high drug tolerance, um, it would be longer. But it would still kill them. I don't know. I just that one's a little weird to me. Um, yeah, it's pretty strange that the. I mean, the Guyanese. I mean, it, I, fifty, a hundred. That's reasonable, you know. I could take that as just like a oh, people just don't know how to count or something, you right. know, or they found more bodies in the woods a few days later. But five hundred <laughs> that's a lot of people 500 to is a lot of people let me read find. this other <laughs> other report here real quick from the new york times um the first trained medical official on the scene was a guyanese coroner dr leslie c motoo 
he and his assistants examined over 100 of the bodies during a 32-hour period and found that the adults had been injected with cyanide in places where they could not have reached without assistance, such as between the shoulder blades, and that many of them had also been shot. Um, Charles Huff was one of the first soldiers on the scene. He also reported having seen uh, many victims of gunshot wounds, as well as others who had been shot with a crossbow, all of whom attempt, uh, who appeared to have attempted to flee. Uh, Muto also, which is the Guyanese corner, uh, Muto also felt that the children were incapable of consenting suicide based on the preliminary findings. Uh, Muto suggested the majority of those who died in suicide were not suicide. The, sorry, the majority of those who died in Jonestown were not suicide, but had been murdered. And that's Muto that said that, the coroner that was first on scene. Yeah, see, I believe that as well. I think a lot of the people in Jonestown didn't want to commit suicide. Yeah, I think a lot of them just were like, oh, Jim made us Kool-Aid. How nice of him. And they drunk it and were like, oh, I don't feel so good. And right. Now, don't get me wrong. There was definitely some people that were just like, yeah, let's stick it to the man and kill ourselves. And that's what they did. But... Um, I mean, the fact that he had the Red Brigade that was literally there just to make sure people didn't run off. Right. Uh, the fact that he left the United States simply because he started facing persecution f- from some people that were defectors. Uh, the fact that he had defectors try to leave um, when the congressman visited. And he had those people almost gunned down. That just goes to show that, like, there's definitely quite a few people that don't really agree with old, old Jimmy. Oh, definitely. And uh, I'm sure that revolutionary suicide was probably the number one topic of uh, something that people didn't like. Because, I mean, something that he preached a lot was that they were all just going to pick pack up and leave and go to Soviet Russia and they were all going to have a wonderful time in Russia. And I honestly think that's what a lot of people were looking for by joining right. this cult is that they were just like this is my ticket to the Soviet Union. Right. Like this is my ticket to uh freezing to death in Moscow. Cuz it's cold as shit there. And right. why would anybody want to live there? But um yeah. I I think that's uh let me let me give you one more um, conspiracy construct here, okay? Um, I know we're get we're getting towards the end here, but I have one more. Um, I don't know if you guys have read or heard about this one, Richard Dwyer. Anybody familiar with that name? Mm. Ever read anything about him? Okay, so go to my notes here. Richard Dwyer. Um, he is actually listed in a book called "Who's Who in the CIA." Okay. Um, because, you know, CIA agents technically aren't supposed to announce that they're CIA agents, right? They're usually like part of a diplomatic mission or something like that, right? So Richard Dwyer was the deputy chief of mission of the U.S. Em- embassy to Guyana, okay, during the time of the Jonestown massacre, okay? Um, and really part of the... Part of the thing here goes is 
with back to the Leo Ryan attack, a lot of people think that Dwyer set up Leo Ryan to be murdered at the airstrip um, when he was visiting Jonestown. So I'm just going to read you my excerpt here that I wrote out, um, and we'll go from there. So there exists a strong likelihood that Ryan would not have been at the airstrip during the attack without direct intervention by Dwyer, who was the deputy chief of mission to the U.S. Embassy and a known CIA agent. Okay. Ryan had intended to remain at the Jonestown compound to continue interviewing families while those wishing to return to the United States were taken to the airstrip. So remember, there was a group that wanted to defect and go to the United States. Leo Ryan was going to take them. Dwyer was going to stay and interview more people. Okay. So uh, Ryan had intended to remain at Jonestown interviewing families while those wishing to return to the United States were taking the airstrip. But as the dump truck was leaving, Ryan was attacked by the People's Temple follower and alleged Red Brigade member Don Sly. Sly wielded only a knife and the attack was quickly ended. Ryan was cut in the attack and decided to board the dump truck and head to the airstrip. Already on the dump truck was Larry Layton. Remember, Larry Layton's the guy who opened fire on, supposedly opened fire on the Red Brigade, right? Layton participated in the attacks on Ryan's delegation, ultimately serving nearly 20 years in prison after being disarmed and failing to kill his targets on the Cessna. So when he was being brought back to the U.S., he actually tried to kill the marshals that were bringing him back, Larry Layton. So there's a whole thing that goes around with Larry Layton. Um, going down here, there's actually... Okay. According to reports, Dwyer and Jones had ties to the CIA, with Dwyer's ties dating back to at least 1959, okay? So this is how they're confirming that Dwyer, the deputy chief of mission, was a CIA member. When quizzed directly about his CIA involvement, Dwyer responded, no comment. And at one point on the audio recording, so there's a 45-minute audio recording of the suicide, okay, of the Jonestown Massacre called the death tapes and you can listen to it on the internet yep and i suggest that you do actually it's a very interesting um listen so at one point on the recording of the mass suicide in jones own voice you can hear him saying take dwyer on down to the east house and a short time later jones says get dwyer out of here before something happens to him okay so obviously there's a relationship there I'm not saying the CIA had any involvement, but I'm not saying the CIA is above having any involvement either, right? So, take that as you it want. Wouldn't surprise me at all. I feel like they feel like they've been involved in a lot more things than uh, what we think. You know, and that's a, that's a book of secrets. Yes. Going back to. Um, earlier, you know, it was reported for the White House the CIA had an asset on site. Well, what I'm thinking is that Dwyer was that asset the CIA had on site, and that Dwyer was actually there during the mass suicide. Because the mass suicide happens the same day as the Leo Ryan murder. So, I'm thinking Dwyer was still on site when the mass suicide occurred. Which... Man, to see that being that those shoes, watching all those people kill themselves, that'd be nuts. That would be crazy. Just standing there watching people drop. 
couldn't imagine. 909 people. All right. Um, you got anything else you want to input? To no, that's, I mean, that's, that's it for me. CJ, you good? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Well, uh, thanks everybody for joining us this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks you two for coming on and talking to me. And uh, as always, ask the questions, question the answers. Thanks for following us down the rabbit hole. Thanks, CJ. You actually have one last thing to do. You have a job you haven't done yet today. Oh, we're still sponsored. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not anymore after you say it like that. No, it's Threadweird, uh, threadweird.com, promo code rabbit hole. Yep. Uh, You know, just go on to t-h-r-e-a-d-w-e-i-r-d.com uh enter the promo code rabbit hole you think you'd have this wrote down somewhere so you don't have to make a weird face trying to spell it out well i have it wrote down (laughs) you're being recorded yeah i know (laughs) i had it wrote down but (laughs) anyways yeah that was it all right I think he just muted himself and he doesn't even realize it. (laughs) Oh, you're still muted.